0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's word applies to our everyday lives. And if you have a Bible, you can go and go to uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number four is uh, where we're going to be this morning. And in the last several weeks, we've been in a new series that we have entitled Culture Shock, and we're learning about how the uh, children of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians, and uh, they were brought into a uh, brand new culture, uh, a brand new uh, city, and uh, they were forced to uh, learn a new diet and learn a new language and, and learn a new uh, uh, schooling system and education and indoctrination and different things. And this was the ultimate culture shock. And uh, we're learning in this series how we can stand for truth in the midst of a culture of confusion. And uh, we are living in a culture where um, it's really whatever you think is great and live, live your own truth. And, and uh, how can we live for uh, absolute truth? And how can we live according to a higher moral standard in the midst of this culture? And uh, that's what we're talking about throughout this series. And this week we're going to be in the book of Daniel. And uh, Daniel chapter number four. And if you're there, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. And uh, today, I'd like to talk about the greatest single problem in our culture. The greatest problem in our culture. And uh, it's not money. It's not media. It's not entertainment. It's not uh, the government. The greatest problem in our culture today is the sin of pride. And today I want to talk about the pride problem. And uh, we're going to learn about this problem in Daniel chapter number 4 and how we can get victory over uh, this problem. And we're going to read uh, uh, several verses this morning. If you have a Bible... I want to encourage you to keep it ready throughout uh, our time together this morning. I'm going to refer back to these verses often. But uh, for sake of time, uh, we're going to read two verses to get started. And then really, we're going to cover the entirety of chapter number four. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and keep it ready. Uh, but for, for sake of time, let's read verses uh, number 30 and 31. The Bible says this The king spake, and uh, this is, of course, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world, 2,500 years ago. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon? That I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power. Everybody say my power. my power. And for the honor of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar was admiring his kingdom. Verse number 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. Let's have a word of prayer. This morning, Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for uh, this opportunity to uh, worship you this morning. And God, thank you for um, the honoring worship that was to you today. Lord, I pray that we can uh, continue that spirit of reverence uh, uh, in this uh, sermon time. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say that would be helpful and uh, beneficial for us today. Lord, I pray that we can uh, really uh, have a holy focus on your word today. God, I pray that, that we would have a clear understanding of, of how to conquer this problem of pride that so often creeps into our lives. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. This past week, Katie and I were able to go on a date together, and we were looking forward to this time, and we had been planning and preparing to go on a date night, and uh, we had some babysitters that came to the house, and, and uh, before we uh, uh, left to go on the date, uh, my oldest daughter, Liv, I brought her over, and I said, now, Liv, if you're really good while we're gone, I'm going to bring you back a surprise, and uh, so she was excited about that, and uh, so we went to the restaurant. And uh, Kate and I were having a great time, one of our favorite restaurants, and, and uh, all was great, the food was great, and uh, we were having a great time, until we realized that uh, it was taking a little bit longer than we had expected, it was kind of a, a slower night, and uh, and uh, we had to be back at the house at a certain time, and so I was a little worried that we weren't going to be able to get anything for Liv, and I promised her that I'd get her a little uh, surprise if she was being good, and so I was thinking, man, uh, we've got to do something, and and uh, Katie, uh, at that moment, uh, my wife Katie, she spotted one of those little vending gaming machines that has the claw with it, and how many of you know what I'm talking about? talking about? And so Katie said, uh, "I think that I can win live a toy over there." And uh, I said, "I said, no, you cannot." I said, "Those those things are are always rigged. You never win. I've tried it before. Uh, uh, let's not let's not waste our money on that." And Katie said, "No, I really think that I could win." And I said, "I really think that you cannot win. So let's not try to do that." And uh, before I know it, Katie's over there and she's putting a dollar in the vending machine, despite my godly counsel that I gave to her in that moment. And uh, and uh, she put it in. I'm just like, "Come on, this is we just wasted. There goes a dollar. You know, there it goes." And uh, she put it in there, and the claw goes down. And wouldn't you know it, the first try, she grabbed a hold of one of those toys in there. And she is so excited. The claw brought it back up. I look over at her. She is literally both hands in the air celebrating the fact that she just won. and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know, like, like this is ridiculous. She is she's celebrating. She's so happy, filled with joy. But she forgot to do one very important thing there is a release button to release the toy into the bin where you can get it. And she forgot to press the release button and the claw went back to the middle and dropped the toy right back into the middle. And I was like, come on. And so she's like, I think I can win again. We wasted four more dollars and did not get that prize that, uh, that night. And so I was like, come on, you got to be kidding. To make matters worse, we, we, we went home and, you know, uh, trying to explain to a four-year-old that we almost won a toy for her is not going to, you know, not going to cut it. And uh, she was not very impressed with that, with that story. And I thought about that situation and I thought that is not too dissimilar to where we often find ourselves in life. A lot of times we can be in a moment or a season in life where we think, hey, I'm winning, I'm doing pretty good. I'm finally back on track. I, I, I'm finally going the right direction. I'm, I'm, I'm headed where I'm supposed to be headed. I'm winning. I feel like I'm doing good just to find out that we're going to be feeling empty once again. Just to feel like, man, I think I'm going the right direction. Then we get the rug taken out from beneath us and we're, fa- we're falling back on our face once again. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Everybody say, take heed. Take heed, uh, lest you fall. And so the moment that you think that you have things under control, the moment that you think you're winning in life and that you've got everything figured out is the same moment that you need to proceed with caution. So often in life, we, we go through uh, in self-confidence and we feel like we've got everything figured out and in order only to find out that we are not on the path that God has for us. And the truth is, is today we live in a very uh, self-absorbed and self-sufficient culture. We're very reliant upon what what we can do. Uh, It's all about us and where we're at. There's an author and a clinical psychologist. His name is Anthony Wolf, and he wrote a book. And uh, he, he, he writes uh, several different books, and really uh, the topic in which he writes is about parenting and, and raising teenagers and that sort of thing. And he talks about how young people are more and more uh, becoming consumed with self. And his latest book that has uh, uh, really caught a lot of attention because of the popular title says this. This is the title of his latest book, uh, Get Out of My Life, But First Could You Drive Me and Cheryl to the Mall, A Parent's Guide to the New Teenager. And in the book, he talks about how young people are more and more consumed with self. And the reality is that within all of us is this innate desire to please and to serve ourselves. We live in a society that is consumed with self. More people die every year from taking selfies on their cell phones than shark attacks. People are, are, are getting injured taking selfies. We just live in a culture that it's all about me. It's all about us. And, and so it's not hard to understand. And you don't have to look very far to realize that we have a pride problem. And here's the most dangerous thing about pride in our culture. Here's the most dangerous thing about pride within us is that we often don't realize that we're struggling with it. And C.S. Lewis in, in Mere Christianity, he, he, uh, he said this profound statement. And it's kind of lengthy, but I'm going to read it this morning. It'll be on the screen. Uh, he said this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone loves when they see it in someone else in which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered or that they cannot keep their head, heads about girls or drink or even that they are cowards. I do not think that I've ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault that makes a man more unpopular, no, nor, uh, no fault which uh, uh, we are more unconscious of in and of ourselves." And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking about is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian, Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And see, the reality about pride is pride is our ultimate blind spot. It's so easy to point out pride and arrogance in someone else, but often when we are struggling uh, with it, we are blind to it in and of ourselves. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs that says this, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 2. When pride cometh... Then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. And that's interesting how it says when pride cometh, when, when, when pride makes its way to us, when pride develops within us. It has this subtle way of kind of sneaking into our lives, and we don't think that we're struggling with it until it has a stronghold, and we are completely reliant and dependent upon self. And so pride has this way of, of developing within us. Now, uh, before we get into uh, Daniel chapter number four, which we're going to talk about uh, this morning, I want to give us five quick uh, introductory facts about pride. Is that all right this morning? Uh, I want to give, give just five kind of basic foundational facts about pride so we can kind of understand what we're dealing with when we talk about uh, this topic this morning. Number one, we all struggle with pride. All of us, okay? Pride is not limited to someone that is simply outspoken or arrogant. Some of the most shy people deal with pride the most. And so pride is something that we, we all struggle with. Number two, pride is the root of all sin. All other sins, you can trace, the, trace it back to its origins in pride, whether it's uh, murder, dishonesty, lust, greed. You can trace it back to pride. Number three, God hates pride. It says that in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verse number 16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one on the list is a proud look. And so God hates pride. Number four, uh, pride has consequences. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, verse number 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before of fall. And so pride has consequences. But number five, and here's the good news, pride can be conquered. Uh, pride can be conquered. And the Bible says this in James chapter four, verse number ten, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The way up is down. And, and, and so uh, we can get victory over pride. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And so if you have your Bible in Daniel chapter number four, um, we're going to we we're gonna look at this story and see uh, how it relates to this idea of pride. And, and uh, 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 Daniel uh, is here in Babylon and uh, uh, the man that is struggling with pride in Daniel chapter number four, of course, is Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, last week, if you were here, uh, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar built this 90-foot statue to himself. uh, 90 foot tall and 9 feet wide, and I think it's safe to say that he was on a bit of an ego trip. I mean, if you're going to build a 90-foot statue to yourself, you're probably struggling with pride a little bit. And uh, so we saw last week kind of uh, uh, the arrogance about Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, really it it becomes very problematic for him in Daniel chapter number 4. And throughout this whole process, we learn how we can get victory over pride in our lives. And it's a very powerful example in scripture, Daniel chapter number four. And so what I'd like to do this morning is give uh, uh, five ways that we can conquer pride. Five ways that we can conquer pride. Do you want to hear them? Number one, if you want to conquer pride, number one, remain dependent on God. Notice verse number four of Daniel chapter number four. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? Verse number four says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, He's writing uh, here in first person. He's telling this story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Nebuchadnezzar starts this narrative and he says, let me tell you this story. One day I was in one of my many beautiful palaces and I was resting and I was having a great day and I was enjoying uh, my flourishing kingdom. I was enjoying Babylon. All was well uh, in the world. Nebuchadnezzar was literally on top of the world, the most powerful man uh, in the world at this time. And this story is characterized and begins with Nebuchadnezzar's prosperity, his success. And often prosperity is the foundation to a life of pride. Often prosperity will lead us into a life of pride because the enemy knows, the devil knows, if he can't destroy you with pain, he'll try with prosperity. If the devil can't trip you up with pain, he'll try with popularity. If the devil can't trip you up with with suffering, he'll try with success. And so here is Nebuchadnezzar, and and he's on top of the world, and his city is flourishing, and all was well, and he's having all these blessings, and things were going great, and he was completely dependent upon self. At this time in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was in his 50s, and literally he had conquered the known world. He he had experienced success to uh, the highest, and he was very self-sufficient. Here's the problem about self-sufficiency, is when we are self-sufficient, by default, we are no longer God-dependent. When we are self-sufficient, when I can handle this, I got this, when when we think that we've got things figured out and we are self-sufficient, by default, we are no longer God-dependent. And when we are no longer God-dependent, we are no longer living by faith, we're no longer walking by faith, and in so doing, we are no longer honoring God. And so, and so he is very self-sufficient, and he's, he's thinking, I got things figured out. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul said, hey, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's all about what God can do in and through us. And so be very careful when you start to experience blessings and when good things start to come your way because a blessing can quickly turn into a burden if you do not remain dependent on God. Because the problem with blessings is is we start to think, I'm doing pretty good. I've experienced some success. I've I've done well. And then we start to trust ourselves and not trust in God. And uh, over the last 10 years or more, there's been this legal battle in the state of Kentucky with their Department of Homeland Security. And uh, there is a little uh, frame in their offices. um, And it says on the frame a a Bible verse. And uh, underneath the Bible verse, I think it's Psalms 127, verse number one. I think we have a picture of it this morning. It says underneath the safety and the security of the Commonwealth cannot be achieved apart from the reliance upon Almighty God. And they're saying, hey, we can't really uh, achieve uh, security and safety apart from relying on God. And so so many people have been uh, in uproar about this and atheists have sued to try to get this thing taken down, just this little small frame. And so many people are upset because to the world, it is foolish to rely on God. To, to the world, it, it's foolish to have faith in God. God is just a crutch. Why can't you just handle things in and of yourself? Why can't you just do it on your own? Why, why do you need to rely on anyone else? Why do you need to trust in, in someone else? Just handle things uh, by yourself. But the Bible tells us this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5-8. through eight. The prophet Jeremiah, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man cursed be the man that trusteth in man himself and maketh flesh his arm or his strength. If, if you're just relying on how strong you can be and whose heart departeth from the Lord, for he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parts places in the wilderness. Everybody say the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited, but blessed be, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope uh, the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. And so, what is the prophet Jeremiah telling us? He's saying, Hey, if you're going to trust in yourself, if you're going to trust in other people, if you're going to trust in man, you're going to find yourself wandering in the wilderness, searching and longing for more. But if you trust in Jesus, if, if you trust in God, if you remain dependent on God, you will be like a tree planted by the water. You will experience blessings and you will experience the provision from God alone. Does anybody believe today that we ought to remain dependent? dependent upon Almighty God and say, hey, it's not about me and what I can do. It's not about trusting in myself. It's about remaining reliant on God. And here's Nebuchadnezzar, and you have to picture the scene. He's just in his palace thinking, man, I'm doing pretty good. The most successful man in the world, but he was very self-sufficient. And everything was going fine until verse number five. And we're going to take a little bit of time, and I'm going to read uh, several verses. And so if you've got your Bible, we've got to uh, understand the story and what happens next in Daniel chapter 4. Notice verse number 5. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? It says this, And I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream that really bothers him. Therefore, verse number six, made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Verse seven, then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. And so it reminds us of back in Daniel chapter number two, when Nebuchadnezzar had his first dream, and he wanted to know what it meant and what it was. And he called in the magicians, the astrologers, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans. And he said, hey, tell me what this means. And and they couldn't tell him. And rather than learning from his lesson, he goes ahead and he tries to ask them again. And he calls that same group of people in there and is not that the definition of insanity, doing the same things over and over and over again and expecting different results. And and he goes and he asks these people, tell me uh, me what this dream means. And, of course, they can't tell him. And, by the way, whenever you're searching for real, true answers in life, the world's not going to have them. Real, true answers are always found in the Word of God. Real answers about life and purpose and eternity is found within God's Word. And they didn't know what the answers were. And so they called in Daniel, verse number 8. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom... Is the spirit of the holy gods, and and before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of uh, of my, my head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. And so the next few verses that I'm going to read are basically Nebuchadnezzar telling his dream, what his dream was. How many of you have ever had um, a, an interesting dream? Can I see your hands? You've you've taken too much Nyquil the night before, something like that, and you just had a crazy dream. Well, ne- Nebuchadnezzar is about to have this, this crazy dream. And basically, the dream revolves around this giant tree, this tree that reaches up to heaven, and it's so wide that it spreads throughout the whole earth. And he's telling this dream to Daniel, God's man. Verse number 11. And the tree grew and was strong. And the height thereof reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves there, thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and, and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all the flesh was fed of it. And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher, or an angel, and holy one, came down from heaven, and cried aloud, and said thus... Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. And then verse number 16 says this, Let his heart be changed from a man's. Now all of a sudden in the dream, we go from a tree to a person. Did you see that? In verse number 16, all of a sudden it says, let his heart be changed from a man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him or seven periods of time, most commentators say seven years pass over him. Verse number 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to know or to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth uh, it up over it the beast of men. So this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, it's basically this this tree that reaches all the way up to heaven, and and it's providing shelter uh, for all the animals, and providing food, and everything is going uh, great. And this tree is repre- uh, representing Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, and how great and powerful and wonderful and, and big it was. And uh, verse number eighteen, this dream. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, uh, now thou, O Belteshazzar, declared the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Okay, so uh, if you're tracking with me so far, would you say amen? amen? So kind of this long dream about this tree that goes all the way to heaven, spreads all the way, it's very, very powerful, and, and in, the, in the dream, this angel, this watcher, this holy one says, let's cut the tree down. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cut down to its stump, and it's going to uh, really be destroyed. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, tell me what this means. Now, notice Daniel's response, because Daniel's response to this dream is shocking. What Daniel says to him is very surprising. Notice what he says in verse number 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astounded. He was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. And so, you have to kind of picture the scene. Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel this dream, and, and Daniel hears it and he's astonished. And he looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Man, I, I wish this dream upon upon your enemies. I, I wish that this dream was uh, for the people that hate you. I, I don't want this dream to be about you, Nebuchadnezzar. And he was troubled. And he was burdened. And now all of a sudden he has compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that went in and invaded Jerusalem and took Daniel away from his friends and family. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that took him captive. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that just threw his three friends into a fire. Nebuchadnezzar was an evil, wicked man that, that, that took everything away from Daniel, took him away from his home, his friends, his family, his religion, what he believed, stripped everything away from him. And now when Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream and and this dream signifies that his kingdom is going to come to an end, this tree is going to be cut down, Daniel responds by saying, I wish this wasn't going to happen to you. Why could Daniel do that? I'll tell you why. Daniel chose to forgive. Daniel demonstrated compassion. He said, you know what, I know that this has not been easy. I know that you've been cruel and mean and you've killed uh, friends and family, but I want to demonstrate compassion to you. I want to demonstrate forgiveness to you this morning. I don't know who's wronged you. I don't know who has hurt you. I don't know what kind of bitterness you might be carrying, but I want to say this. If God has forgiven the inexcusable in us, then certainly we can learn and try and attempt to forgive other people in our lives. And so Daniel says, man, I wish this this was going to happen to you. And he demonstrates this great compassion for uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, 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 the Bible says this in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Everybody say forgiving. Forgiving, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you and so, uh, Daniel, uh, uh, in the fact that he forgave Nebuchadnezzar, we learned that Daniel had grown to uh, care about him, uh, care about him greatly, which made the next part of the story even harder because Daniel had to tell uh, Nebuchadnezzar that this dream meant that his kingdom was going to be uh, uh, taken away from him, and so he was going to be the bearer of bad news. How many of you have ever been the bearer of bad news and how to communicate that news to someone else? Can I see your hands? Okay, um, so Daniel has to uh share this bad news with. Nebuchadnezzar, and tell him, your kingdom is about to come to an end. And this brings us to a principle that we've really learned uh, several times throughout this series, that as followers of Jesus, we are commanded and instructed to speak the truth in love. And a lot of times, if you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian, if you're going to believe what God says, if you're going to believe the Bible, it's going to be difficult to speak that truth to people. Because the truth is not always convenient, the truth is not always comfortable, but uh, uh, we have to be able to learn to speak the truth in love. Now now some people are truth people and some people are love people, right? Some people are truth people, they don't care about what your feelings, they don't care about what you think, it's just the truth. And then some people are love people and just kind of like, "Hey, everything, let's just get along." And they, you know, they kind of dumb down the truth. But as followers of Jesus, we can't be one without the other. We we have to balance truth and love. And we see that perfectly exemplified in Daniel. He loved him. He showed compassion on him. He forgave him, but he spoke the truth. And so he's about to uh, reveal and tell Nebuchadnezzar exactly what this dream means. If you're still with me, would you say yes? yes? Verse number 20. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the, the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. Watch this. Verse number 22. It is thou. He says, Nebuchadnezzar. This is about you. This, this is, this is uh, signifying and displaying you, O king, verse number 22. Thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto the heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and holy one uh, coming down from heaven and saying, hew down the tree, cut down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let uh, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts uh, of the field till seven times pass over. Over this is the interpretation, O King, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. Now, notice verse number twenty-five. This is key: that uh, they shall drive from, uh, drive thee from men. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen to him. They're going to drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times uh, shall pass over thee, watch this, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Daniel says the reason this is going to happen, Nebuchadnezzar, is because you need to understand and know who's really in control. Who's really in charge? Who's really all sovereign? Until you can come to an understanding that God is in control and that he sets uh, whomever he pleases over in leadership in the world. Until you realize that you're not really in control and that God is in control, you are going to experience this difficulty. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Number two, if you want to conquer pride, you've got to reflect the credit. If you want to conquer pride, number one, remain dependent on God. But if you want to conquer pride, number two, reflect the credit. Now, verse number 25 says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be cut down and you are going to experience this misery. Why? Because he never gave credit back to God. He was accepting rather than reflecting the credit that belonged to God. Misplaced credit in our lives always robs glory from God. And so Nebuchadnezzar was not giving the credit that belonged to God. Can I ask you this morning, are you reflecting the credit that belongs to God? Are you giving him the glory? Are you giving him the credit? Every time you get a compliment, it's a test. Hey, hey, good job on that. You did a great job. And man, that was awesome. Way to go. And in that moment, you have a decision. Am I going to say yeah, you know, I did do pretty good at that, and, and yeah, yeah, that was pretty awesome. I did work hard at that and, and, and become very uh, filled with self. Or are you going to say and realize, you know what, God gave me the ability to do that, and God gave me the thoughts to think that, and God gave me the strength to do that, and God gave me everything that I need in life. It's really all about him. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Anything good in our lives is because God enabled us and allowed us to have it and to fulfill it, and so we have to decide, are we going to reflect the credit and give it back to God, or are we going to accept accept the credit because we think that we deserve it. And that is what Nebuchadnezzar was struggling with. And probably the most famous example of this in the Bible is in Acts chapter number 12, speaking of Herod. And that says this, And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel and sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And, he, and the people gave a shout saying, It is the voice of a God. And so they're saying, Herod, wow, he gave this beautiful speech, this beautiful oration. And, and they're saying, this is, uh, uh, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, watch this, because he gave not God the glory. He gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and he gave up the ghost, why? Because he started to accept the credit that he was something bigger than he actually was. And so we have to be very careful in life. Are we gonna accept or reflect the credit that ultimately belongs to God? Number three, if you wanna conquer pride, recognize God's mercy. If you wanna conquer pride, number three, recognize God's mercy. Now, there is this detail in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that I don't know if you picked up on, but it kind of is a reoccurring thought in, in his dream. And uh, we see it in verse 15, 23, and 26. In, in verse number fif- 15, it says, Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth. And so the angel comes and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you have this great kingdom, this great massive tree in Babylon, so impressive and it's so amazing, but, but, but it's going to be cut down. Nevertheless, leave that stump there. leave leave a little bit of that tree left. In verse 23, we see the same thought in the middle of the verse. It says, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth. Verse number 26, we see the same thing. Watch verse number 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that, uh, thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. What is Daniel saying that this means? What does this stump mean? He he was saying, hey, God's not gonna completely uproot this tree. He's not gonna completely take this tree uh, away because God wants to restore your kingdom back to you which is an amazing thought, considering that Nebuchadnezzar was rebelling against God, accepting all the credit, thinking that he was, he was the best, and God says, I'm going to leave that stump because I'm not done with you yet, and this is a beautiful uh, picture of God's mercy, and I just love this thought this morning, because no matter where you are, and no matter what kind of past you have, you might think, man, I've made some big mistakes in my life, and I've failed big time, and I've rebelled against God, and I've rejected God, and I've gone down the wrong path, and I've been backslidden, and I've, I've done some things that I'm not, not proud of. I want to tell you this this morning. God is not done with you yet. That there is still a stump. There is still a little bit left that God says, hey, I want to use that. I want to revive that. I want to restore that. I want to bring you back and do something great in your life. It doesn't matter what your past looked like. God says, hey, there's still some left. I want to do something great in your life. And so every time you start to be consumed with self, think about that stump. Think about how great God has been in his mercy in our lives. The Bible says that God is rich. Everybody say rich. That God is rich in mercy. He loves us so much that he wants to give us this mercy and restore us. Thomas Watson, he said this, God is more willing to pardon than to punish. Mercy does more uh, multiply in him than sin in us. Mercy is his nature. Ephesians, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. Everybody say great love. Wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And so we have to recognize that God is so merciful. You know, when we start to become filled with self and we start to become consumed with pride and we we, we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, remember the mercy of God. Remember that we're just sinners, just saved by grace, and God's been so good to us and he's been so gracious and merciful to us. And we need to take a step back sometimes in our lives and recognize the mercy of God to us. And so uh, the stump remained because God wasn't done with Nebuchadnezzar yet. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Number four, if you want to conquer pride, you've got to receive godly counsel. If you want to conquer pride, receive godly counsel. Notice verse number 27. He says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to Unto thee. So Daniel gets done interpreting the dream. and He says, here's what it means. Now I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to give you a little bit of counsel, Nebuchadnezzar, because you need it. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar did not ask for this counsel, but Daniel went ahead and gave it anyways. And he says, wherefore, king, let thy counsel, my counsel be acceptable unto thee. And uh, so he starts to, to give this counsel. And by the way, how open you are to receiving counsel reveals a lot about your spiritual maturity. If you welcome counsel in your life, and you welcome uh, pastoral leadership and biblical leaders and counselors to to invest and to input into your life, and you don't run away from godly counsel, but you run to it because the Bible says, uh, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so anytime we make a major decision in our lives, we ought to seek counsel. We've got to ask uh, pastors and leaders and godly influences and friends that that know the word of God that can offer us this type of counsel. And uh, if you want to conquer pride in your life, and you don't want it to be all about you, and you want it to be all about God, then you've got to be willing to receive godly counsel. Now, let's look at the counsel more specifically of what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. And the first thing that he tells him in verse number 27 is he tells him to repent. He says, wherefore, O king, verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins. He says, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor if, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility, thy, thy peace. He says, hey, if you want God's mercy to be evident, if you want to prolong this punishment that's coming of your kingdom being torn down, then, then, then you've got to repent. Repent. The word repent in the Greek is metaneo, and it means to, to change my, your mind. It means to turn into a different direction. And he's saying, hey, you need to repent and you need to uh, humble yourself. Did you know that that humility is a choice? Not one time in the Bible are we commanded to pray for humility. Not one time in the Bible are we instructed to ask God for humility. Why? Because humility is a choice. And time and time again in Scripture, we are told to humble ourselves and and that God gives grace to the humble. And humility is a choice. And we need to say, you know what? I need to repent of this pride. I need to repent of these wrong priorities in my life. I need to turn and go a different direction. And humility begins with uh, a choice. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse number 11 says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself and chooses to humble himself shall be Exalted, And so first thing, the first thing that he tells him is to repent. But then the second thing that he tells him, if you notice it in verse number 27, he says, redirect your thoughts to other people. He says, if you want my counsel, here's what I would tell you to do, Nebuchadnezzar. First thing, you've got to repent. You've got to get right with God, and you've got to choose uh, to be humble. And then you've got to redirect your thoughts to think about other people. He, look at what he says in verse number 27. Wherefore, king, let my counsel be acceptable unto, uh, unto thee and break off thy sins. Repent by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Now, now why would he tell him to do that? Why in this moment does Daniel say you need to uh, show mercy to the poor? Because he's saying you need to stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about other people. This really keeps us in touch with reality. When we realize in life how much we actually have and we start to think about other people. Did you know that that? If you have change in your pocket this morning, or if you have change in your car, if you just have a little bit of extra change, then you are already in the top 90% wealthiest people in the world. According to world standards, we, we are blessed. You know, the Bible talks about the rich man. We are the rich in America. We, we have so many blessings. If we just have any money at all, we are already in the top 90%. And what Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar is you need to stop thinking about yourself and start showing mercy to the poor and start thinking about other people in life that need help. Proverbs fourteen twenty one: he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Now, uh, notice what happens next in verse number 28. And all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that God said would happen, it happened by the way, if God said it, you can trust it. If God said it, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's going to happen. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Now, notice verse number 28, or 29. And at the end of 12 months, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. You know what's so interesting about that? Daniel tells him what the dream means. He gives him his counsel, and then nothing happens for a year. 12 months, this this long time of just waiting. Nebuchadnezzar never repented. He never redirected his thoughts to the poor. He just kept on doing what he was doing kept on being consumed with pride. And we see two things here from verse number 29. We see that that God uh, is a God of great patience, and he gives us ample time to repent. He, He gives us ample time to get back on track and to be restored and to get back doing what we're supposed to be doing. We see God's great patience, but then we also learn about our great procrastination. We often put things off, so I'll worry about that later, and I'll get right with God later, and I'll start to get serious about God later, and and I have time, I have time. We just keep on pushing it off and pushing it off, and Nebuchadnezzar ignored the warning. Several years ago, I was on vacation in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I was golfing with my dad and my brother, and it was extremely hot. It was the summertime. It was like 117 degrees outside, and uh, we were golfing, and uh, I remember the, the golf carts that we were in, uh, they, they had these uh, little ice chests with ice in them and, and water bottles. Well, it was so hot outside that, that we uh, uh, drank those water bottles within the first couple minutes, and, and uh, I was doing whatever I could to stay hydrated and to stay uh, cooled down, and so I, I just kept on, after I drank the water, I kept on just reaching in the ice chest, and I was grabbing ice and eating it, and, and uh, grabbing ice and eating it. And I was just eating all kinds of ice. And we came down to the end of the round and and my dad noticed uh, this sign that was on the ice chest that said, warning, uh, chemicals in the ice... Not for human consumption, and and my dad read that out loud, and he started laughing, and then he told my brother, and he, they both started laughing. I'm like, why are you guys laughing? I could die from this, you know, like like this is serious, and and, and I was so worried uh, that I was going to become sick. Now, luckily, I did not, I did not become sick. But the reality was, there was a warning there that I chose not to look at. I didn't notice it, and I ignored the warning. And so often in life, we find ourselves uh, on the edge of destruction. We find ourselves near danger because we ignore the warnings that God gives us, and God warns us through His Word, and He warns. us, through preaching, and he warns us through relationships, but so often we choose to ignore the warning, and we think, I've got time, we just keep on going, and that's exactly where Nebuchadnezzar was, and that's exactly why he wound up in destruction, because he failed and refused to listen to the warning. Notice verse number 30. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? We got a lot of verses to cover this morning. Verse 30, the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of by my might and by my power? And for the honor of my majesty, Nebuchadnezzar, he just couldn't help himself. After Daniel gave him that warning, after he had experienced that dream and knew what it meant, that he was proud. After all that, one, day's, one day Nebuchadnezzar's back at his, his, his palace and he's looking at the beautiful city that he built. And Babylon was impressive, no doubt. Uh, the hanging gardens there in Babylon, considered one of the seven ancient uh, wonders of the world. And, and uh, they had a banquet hall in Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar built that seat, uh, seated 10,000 people. Um, beautiful buildings and temples and all of this, this structure. In fact, um, nine out of every ten bricks in the city of Babylon had Nebuchadnezzar's name stamped to it. And so the city was just impressive. It was massive. And Nebuchadnezzar was looking at it all thinking, I did a pretty good job. And he just can't help himself but to to think, I did this. This is what I've done. Now, notice verse number 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. God said, okay, that's it. Your kingdom is departed from you. Verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat uh, grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee for seven years, until thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Again, until you recognize, Nebuchadnezzar, that you're not in control and that God is. Verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat uh, grass as oxen, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hairs were grown out like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And we see Nebuchadnezzar now going into this state where he's acting like an animal. He goes insane. And... This is a documented disease that, that doctors have talked about, lycanthropy. It's this uh, where a man believes that he is a wolf and he's, he, he believes that he's an animal. And so now Nebuchadnezzar is, is literally out in the field. He's acting like an animal. His fingernails are growing out like claws and his hair is uh, growing out everywhere. And we see that pride not only will lead to instability, but ultimately pride will lead you to insanity. And so now Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing the devastation of his pride. And now he's, he's acting like an animal. Now think about this. This is the most powerful man in the world. This is Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world and now he's out in the field acting like an animal. See, the truth is this morning, the only alternative to humility is humiliation. If we say, you know what, I'm just going to keep on doing my thing and I'm going to do whatever I want, just be very careful proceed with caution because it will result in a fall. And Nebuchadnezzar had this great fall because of his pride, he lost his mind. Now, Number five this morning will be done, and I believe that this is where it comes full circle for us today. Number five, if you want to conquer pride, you've got to replace pride with praise. You've got to replace pride with praise. And worship team, you can go ahead and come on out. And uh, let's notice verse number 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes. Everybody say, lift it up. Yeah. Lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. And mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and I honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. No, that, that's a very key phrase in this, verse number 35. Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? It's no longer what everybody else thinks. I'm not, I'm not concerned with what the nations think and what, what everybody else says about me. I'm no longer concerned with that. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, verse 35 and he uh, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay uh, stay his hand or say unto him what doest thou verse 36 not the same time my reason returned unto me God in his mercy he gives him back his his reason after seven years he gives him back his understanding and uh, verse 36 returned unto me for the glory of my kingdom mine honor in my brightness returned unto me and my counselors, my Lord sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise, Everybody say praise. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this complete turnaround, and it starts with him looking up to heaven. He lifted up his eyes, and he had this moment like the prodigal son when he came to himself, and he says, what am I doing? I've been filled with pride, and I need to give praise. I need to replace this pride with praise to Almighty God in heaven, the Bible says this in Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And so he, he, he looks up And he has a new perspective. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And so he looked up and he said, I'm gonna start to give praise. And I don't know if you noticed it, but he used four different words for praise there in those verses. He said, I'm I'm gonna bless the Lord. Bless means to kneel and to worship. He said, praise, that means to adore with the heart. He said, extol, that means to lift up, to exalt uh, above all else. He says, to honor, to respect, and to glorify. He learned to replace his pride with praise And I want to tell you this morning, if you want to conquer pride in your life, you've got to say, you know what? I need to praise the King of Kings and I need to praise the Lord of Lords because he has been good in my life and he has been gracious and he has been merciful and I need to praise the one that saved me. We've got to learn to replace pride with praise. See, we can't just say, okay, I'm not going to be proud. We've got to say, I'm not going to be proud, but also I'm going to replace that pride with praise. I'm going to fill my life with praise and and blessing and honor and extolling the Lord God in heaven. The Bible says this in, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses two and three, Moses is talking to the children of Israel and he says this, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee. Everybody say humble thee. Moses said God was teaching you some things he wanted to humble you and to prove you to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. And I thought that verse was so interesting because Moses said God allowed us to go hungry. God allowed us to to, to experience hunger. And a lot of times in our lives, God will allow us to go hungry. We're gonna be hungering for a relationship. We're gonna be hungering for a new job. We're gonna be hungering for a new position. We're gonna be hungering for a new opportunity. But sometimes God will allow us to be hungry in order so we can learn to be humble. That's what he says at the end of that verse. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Sometimes God will allow us to be hungry because he wants us to learn how to be humble and how to remain dependent on him. And then once we are dependent on him and he does bless us, Moses goes on a few verses later, he says this in verse number 10, when thou hast eaten and art full, so when God does bless you, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God. For the good land which he hath given you see when you do get full and when God does bless you don't forget to praise the Lord don't forget to give him the credit that is due don't forget to bless the Lord Almighty Moses said whatever you do now that you've experienced these blessings don't forget to praise the Lord don't forget to give him the honor and the glory and the praise for all and Nebuchadnezzar now is learning what it means to praise the Lord and I just want to encourage you this morning our ultimate example in life is Jesus Christ and the Bible tells us that in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus became a man, he took upon him the form of a servant he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant and became obedient unto death even the death of a cross wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and I just want to tell you that Jesus exampled and exemplified a life of humility and he is worthy of all of our praise and he is worthy of our worship and we ought to praise him according to his mighty acts and praise him according to his excellent greatness and fill the earth with his praise today we ought to be people of praise and praise God for what he's done in our lives our our, our mouths should be continually offering the sacrifice of praise that's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews that our lips should be continually offering the sacrifice to praise uh, um, to God always giving him the praise and the glory that he deserves now I want to conclude this message by going back to the very beginning because if you notice, we covered every single verse of Daniel chapter number four. We we read all the verses, it was a lot. But I didn't read the first three. And I want to go back and I want to see these first three because I believe it can teach us so much this morning. If you're with me, would you say amen? Verse number one. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and the wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how how mighty are his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And so what we learn in verses one through three is that Nebuchadnezzar is actually writing this letter and telling this story, and he's telling the world what had happened to him. Now that takes humility. If he, if he lived in our day, that would be like Nebuchadnezzar going on primetime news and putting it on social media and, and, and interviewing the world and telling everyone, hey, this is my story. God humbled me. And now I just wanna let you know that I'm giving my life to praise him. And, and I love, I just gotta show you this, that there's a, in verse number one, he says this peace be multiplied unto you. What peace was he talking about? He had already conquered the world. He wasn't talking about military peace. He was talking about an inner peace that he found with a relationship with God. Can I tell you this this morning? We're gonna meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. He, he had a relationship with God and he discovered true peace that only God could give. And he says, let me tell my story. Let me tell the world what God did with me. And we see one of the most remarkable conversions in all of scripture that Nebuchadnezzar had a relationship with God. And I wanna tell you this today as, as we close, we're gonna get ready to sing a song here in just a moment. But maybe you're sitting here today And you don't have that true inner peace that Nebuchadnezzar found. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what? There's something that's wrong in my life. There's something that's not going well. And I don't have that sense of peace. I don't have a peace about my life. I don't don't have an inner peace. And I would say this, you can find that peace with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nebuchadnezzar found that and said, peace be multiplied unto you. Let me tell you about this peace that I found. And I want to tell you today that you can find that peace. The Bible tells us this last verse will be done this morning. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, justified, the word means to be declared righteous. It means to have have Christ's righteousness imputed on our account, on our behalf, justified by faith uh, through a relationship with God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be justified. You'll be declared righteous. You'll, You'll be saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, watch this, we have peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want peace with God, if you want that inner peace that Nebuchadnezzar found and discovered that changed his life forever, you can discover that peace and you can find that peace with the relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I've been to church, I've known about heaven, I've known about God, I've known about the Bible, but I've never really had a real relationship with Jesus. I would say to you today, today could be the best day of your life. Today could change your life forever because you can experience the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. You can experience a peace that passes all understanding that Nebuchadnezzar came to find. And I just want to tell you today that you can begin a new walk with God. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and discover that peace that only God can give. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way how to conquer pride. He battled with it. He struggled with it. But he ended up learning, and he ended up replacing pride with praise. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church. And keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.